hello and welcome. We are glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Paul, one of the pastors here at Hope. Today is Ash Wednesday, where we remember that we are dust, and to dust we shall return, but those ashes are in the shape of a cross. And so we remember that Jesus has made a way, that Jesus is victorious over death. Before I begin with my message, I just want to uh, share with you a couple uh, announcements that are important to our, our, our congregation. The first is, Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of what we call Lent. Lent is this time of preparation before Holy Work, before Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter, for us to examine our hearts and minds. As part of that, we are going to be journeying through the Ten Commandments together as a church. Uh, we're going to be preaching through the Ten Commandments. I'm starting today with this part before the Ten Commandments. But the trick is, in order to get them all in, uh, you need to go to church twice a week. <laughs> Wednesday and Sunday. Otherwise, you are going to only obey half the commandments. And that's, that's a big problem. So uh, we encourage you, as much as you can, uh, to come Wednesday and Sunday uh, to get all Ten Commandments. Uh, as part of our Lenten outreach, we are supporting Valley Christian Counseling. That's what we call our targeted giving this Lent. Valley Christian Counseling has been a partner with us since 2009. There's wonderful many uh, great counselors in our community, but Valley Christian's been a partner for since 2009. Uh, Valley um, makes sure that they don't turn anyone away. If someone comes and they're underinsured, or uninsured. Uh, we provide resources as well as they have resources, uh, and a large part of what they fundraise every year in their budget goes to make sure that the underinsured and insured uh, or uninsured can have the appropriate care. And they do that counseling from a biblical worldview, so they're a great partner. But we want to talk about mental health and what that means for us to be healthy uh, in terms of our minds and our spirits. And so that is our, our, our offering this year. So if that's something that's important to you, I encourage you to think about an offering for that. Uh, the second thing I want to say, just a matter of church business, is that we voted this last fall to purchase land in West Fargo on 52nd Avenue near what's called the Wilds, if you're familiar with that area. And uh, this last week, we signed all the paperwork officially. That's how long it takes to get to that point. So we own land as a church. That's good. All right, enough for those announcements. So it's Ash Wednesday. When I was in high school, one of my uh, good friends lived on a farm. I grew up in northern Minnesota, a small town called Cromwell. And they used to dairy farm, but now they, they didn't dairy farm anymore. They had fallen out of that. As a result of that, uh, they had a bunch of outbuildings. One was an extra barn, the barn where the cows were kept with a hayloft on top. And they had converted that hayloft on top, uh, put a hard surface in there, and basketball hoops on both sides. So we had our own indoor basketball court. It was, it was awesome. Uh, and so in middle school and high school, we would gather there at this friend's house, gather a bunch of people, and we would play what we called barn ball. Barn ball. Uh, the thing about barn ball is that there were not a lot of rules. Because there were no adults, there were no referees. Uh, barn ball was initially fun, but it often resulted in someone banging their head against the edge of the barn beams or uh, getting cut or getting elbowed or fighting or arguing. In other words, barn ball was complete chaos. Anybody play sports like this when you were young? It was rough. It was tumble. We were country kids, uh, but we just went, went at it. So Israel, the nation, in our text today, our, our first lesson today, where they received the Ten Commandments, 
has been freed from slavery. They've been delivered from slavery for over 400 years in Egypt. The deliverer is God, and he does this through Moses, his servant Moses. And Moses is now with these millions of people in what we now know as the Sinai Peninsula, wandering around in the desert, waiting for God to give them permission to enter into the Holy Land. And it's chaos. It's barn ball. Literally. People are making cows out of gold to worship false gods. Moses has a line, as far as he can see, pretty much every day, of people coming to him with complaints. They're grumbling about the food. They're grumbling about everything, the accommodations. Uh, These are people that have been freed from slavery. You think that they'd be happy, grateful just a little bit, but no, it is absolutely chaos. It's barn ball. And in the midst of this, God hears his people. He knows the people. He gives them a great gift of love. And the gift of love that he gives them through Moses is the Ten Commandments, is what we know as the Ten Commandments, the law. And so he gives them this law in order to be a covenant relationship, an agreement between him and his people of how they should live their life in relationship to him, but also in relationship to other. Because the truth is, while Barnball is sort of fun, it often produces more pain than joy. And the people needed a guide. They needed a law as a gift in order to guide them in life. Now this law, this law of Moses, this Ten Commandments, has been a guidepost and a foundation for our culture, for Judeo-Christian culture, for thousands of years, almost 4,000 years. It has lasted and endured these principles of morality and of truth throughout centuries. And as such, I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to know them, to understand them, to memorize them, and to apply them to our lives. But the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people, if they were asked, what are they, right, may have a trouble naming more than two or three. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you as we go through the Ten Commandments uh, is really to to dive deep and not just read God's word and think, oh, that's great, but but read God's word and seek to apply that, to live that out in your life as we go through the commandments. For Ash Wednesday, this this beginning, we're going to talk about what the law's purpose is. Before we dive into all of the laws, the Ten Commandments, and what they mean, I want us to think about, reflect upon, well, what's the purpose? So in the church world, the church fathers understood that there were three historical purposes to God's law. God's law was not given to us as something to punish his people. It was not given to us as something to constrict our freedoms. It was given to us as as a gift of love to help us be in right relationship again with God and with each other. And there's three historical purposes to the love, to the law. The first is this. Uh, we got that first slide. Civil order. Civil order. So this nation of Israel, they had been slaves. Guess what? Slaves don't need laws. They have no freedom. The, the slaves' law is whatever the master says, whatever they are allowed to do. 
But now they're free after generations of enslavement, and God gives them a law in order to have a standard for life. Now there's a difference, again, between God's law and the law of a nation, or the law of a government. Often, too, the, the values of God's law have infiltrated into the law of our country and other countries. But God's law is, is a moral law, which is given to us as followers of him. And God's law, first and foremost, was given so that everybody could get along, right? These were rules for life. Uh, we, we talk about this, we have a fall retreat every year uh, that our youth ministry staff put out called guardrails. A lot of you have been on that. And we talk about guardrails as limits, right? You're going down the highway, those things you, you, you don't ever notice until you hit one on the side of the road, those are called guardrails. Well, what are the guardrails meant to do? They're meant to protect us. They're meant to keep us from further harm, from further danger. They're meant to be our guide. God gives us guardrails in order to achieve the best in life. Now, because of who we are and because of our rebelliousness, we rebel against the guardrails. There's part of us, I don't know if you're like me, that likes to drive in the ditch. Anybody? No, some people are your rule followers. Like, why would you drive in the ditch? Some of us like to drive in the ditch sometimes. But when you drive in the ditch, there's, there's issues with that. And because we like to drive in the ditch sometimes, there, there's two things, I think, where we go wrong in terms of the civil order uh, interpreting God's law. The first is, is that we're constantly seeking to rewrite what God has decreed. We're constantly seeking to rewrite what God has decreed. Usually, we like laws, especially for other people. But when it constricts what we see as our potential freedom, when we reach the limit and we're like, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal if I cross that line in terms of my marriage relationship? What's the deal if I cross that line in terms of my anger towards my brother? What's the deal if I cross that line in terms of greed in my coveting of other people? We like to apply the law unfairly, in other words. It's really easy to say, hey, that person, yep, they're out of line. But it's harder to look in the mirror and truly examine where we are out of the line. And as a result of that, because we want to interpret this, we like to rewrite the law. And you see that happening in our culture today. There's a, there's a morality battle. There probably always has been throughout time, but there really is, in our culture today, a battle over morality. And it's infiltrated our politics in every single aspect of life. But as followers of Christ, let me tell you that morality, here's, here's an important thing, does not come from our intuition, it does not come from our feelings, it does not come from what we think is right or wrong. As followers of Christ, Morality comes from God. And God's law is something that stands outside of us. It stands outside of us that we're called to live with and live under. That's really important. The other thing that we like to do with the law is what I call legalism. Or I don't call it, lots of people call it this. Or this is another thing, pharisaical beliefs about the law. What does that mean? So the religious leaders of Jesus' time were the Pharisees. 
And their job, Pharisees' little job, was to live according to not only the Ten Commandments, but the hundreds of additional laws you find in the Old Testament as rightly as they possibly could so that they were a moral example to God's people. But what Jesus saw is that their pharisaical life had actually become a hypocritical life. Because they interpreted the law when it was convenient for their own personal gain. It ignored other big chunks of the law. In other words, they, they interpreted the law when it, when it fit their, their status, but then they ignored massive parts of the law that required them to be compassionate to the poor or uh, careful for women and children. And so Jesus saw this, and in fact, the only time that Jesus got angry was when God's law was distorted, when it was pick and choose morality. We do this today, too. It's really easy for us to say, yep, they're out of line with the law, and pick one thing or certain moral issues that we're upset about and we think is the problem, but then totally ignore totally ignore other big aspects of the law in our own lives, okay? So the law stands outside of us, and the law is for civil order. Why this is important, and why understanding that and living that out is because this helps us get along. It's the guide that God himself gave us for determining how to have relationships with one another. Now the second thing, historically, that biblical scholars believe the law does is this, is it convicts us of our sin. So promote civil order, but it convicts us of our sin. What do you mean by that? Well, God's law is a gift, and God gives that love, gift of love in his perfection. One of the truth is, is we live our life, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we're all going to bump against that law, and we're all going to get it wrong. And so one of the important functions of God's law is not a path to perfection, because none of us can reach that, but is a path to say, hey, you're a sinner, and you need a savior. Because we we run up against God's perfect law and his high standard for life, and we fail. Jesus taught this clearly. Jesus taught this in, in ways that expounded that. He, he, he would take things like in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, w- he would say, you know, you've heard it, you shall not kill. And hopefully most of us in this room could say, yeah, we've never murdered anyone. But he says, hey, if you've ever held anger in your heart against your brother or sister, you've broken this commandment. Whoa. He said, you've heard it said, I, you shall not commit adultery. And, and, and hopefully most of you could, could say, yeah, you know, I've never physically cheated on my spouse. But he says, let's level the playing field. If you have thought lustfully about someone other than your spouse, you've committed adultery. So what does this do? It, it convicts us deeply of our sin and, and leaves us in a place where we need Jesus. In the second lesson that was today, that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. He, he was saying before there was a law, life was free. But then I realized there was a law and, and coveting became a thing. 
I didn't realize that coveting was a problem until I realized what God's standard for coveting was in this world. And this is extremely important because when we know this, it it shows us our need for Jesus. Now here's the big problem then. If, If we rewrite the law, or if we say that there is no sin, or we make things that God says are right and wrong, not right and wrong as a society anymore, then there's no conviction of sin and grace can abound. Grace can abound. The second reason why this is important for us to take a, a real inventory of our lives is so that we rightly look at others. Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew chapter 7. He said these famous words. He said, do not judge. He says, why are you so preoccupied with the sliver in your neighbor's eye and you ignore the plank in your own? And a lot of people quote this wrongly. Because they quote it in a way to say, hey, there is no right or wrong so people can do whatever they want. Right? That's not what this is saying. This is not negating God's law. God has clearly said there is a right or wrong. There's a standard when it comes to our life in the way that we act and behave in this world. But what it is saying is that all of us are guilty. And every one of us, before we point a finger, before we cast judgment, God can judge and God can judge rightly, but before we cast judgment, we need to do it from the foot of the cross and recognize our own sinfulness in our lives because that's the only place that is genuine and true. So a pick and choose morality like the Pharisees did or a no sin, no problem sort of response in our culture, it's just not true and it's not who Jesus called us to be. On Ash Wednesday, this subject is particularly relevant because what do we remember? We remember what scripture teaches, Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. That because sin entered the world through Adam and Eve by the eating of their fruit, by their disobedience, which is sin, the consequence of that is death. Adam and Eve were meant to live forever in paradise. But the consequence of their disobedience is death. And so we think about the ashes because the ashes are symbol of death. We're gonna die. And we're gonna die because sin is real in this world, because our hearts are rebellious, because we like to drive in the ditch, because we're disobedient. But Jesus Christ has victory over that. He has a claim over that. And because we are aware of our sin, we can confess our sins, and God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in fact, in the Christian life, being convicted, being found guilty, being contrite, being repentant is extremely important in our life to grow in our trust and intimacy with God. It convicts us of our sin. And finally, finally, the law is a guide for life, a guide for Christian living. 
So we live in this freedom of Christ. The Apostle Paul writes that, that when we are forgiven, Jesus Christ satisfies the demands of the law. His perfection stands in our imperfection. And God does not judge us by what we have done. He judges us by what Jesus did for us on the cross. The perfect one lays down his life for us who are imperfect. So now what's the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law now is for Christian life. We are set free in Jesus not to be saved by good works and good deeds. But the law now becomes a thankful response, a guide, a friend, a compass to navigate the complexities of our world. I want to give you a couple ways uh, to think about this. Because now in Jesus Christ we have been freed from sin and death. and We've been freed from the law. A limit becomes a path to freedom. A limit becomes a path to freedom. One of the ways I think about that, uh, right now, uh, Jimmy Carter, one of our most famous presidents, is in hospice. I don't know, maybe I didn't read the dude today. I don't know if he, he passed, but he's in hospice. Uh, when you look at Jimmy Carter's life, here's a person that could have used all of his influence and power to do what? Get wealthier? Be super powerful? go on lavish vacations, do whatever he wanted, uh, get away with whatever he wanted, use his influence to change the world. But what did he do in his post-presidency? He served humbly in Jesus. Why? Because Jimmy Carter knew that that was the, the path to freedom. He, he didn't do that because he had to, because he was trying to earn his eternity. He did that because he understood how much Jesus had freed him from his sin. And it was a thankful response to give back to others. And it was the path to a life that is truly full of meaning and blessing. In Jesus, the law becomes a path to freedom. In Jesus, a got to becomes a want to. One of the questions I sometimes get is, if I become a Christian, do I need to give up? Fill in the blank. Drunkenness, cheating on my taxes, being greedy, gossiping. Do you need to give up those things? Well, no. So Jesus died on a cross for your forgiveness. His, his righteousness, his blood has already covered all of your sin. Do you need to give them up? No, you don't have to. But I can tell you, if you know Jesus, you will want to. You'll want to. A got to becomes a want to. And the law, God's law, becomes a path to that. Are we ever going to get it right? No. We will fail sometimes again and again and again. But that drives us deeper into his grace and unconditional love in our lives. And in Jesus, the law does this, a shallow life becomes a deeply rooted life. God's law is a path to become deeply connected to him. Psalm 1 says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds 
and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I encourage you to join us for worship every week, twice a week, this Lent, to learn about, to reflect upon God's good and loving gift of his law and his son Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you today for your grace, mercy, and love. Guide us and lead us in your truth. Give us uh, your good gifts so that we might know that. Convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord. Free us by your grace and guide us by your perfect gifts into righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.